2: You know, I love the visual, right, of the like old tree falling and the light opens up in the canopy and the seedlings grow, right? It's like a very natural process. And to be in relationship with natural processes, we have to be okay with sometimes things will come together and they will be amazing. And then they will go back into the soil and something new will emerge.
1: Welcome to this episode of The Community Experience. I am your co-host, Jillian Benbow, and today I have a special co-host, my boss, CEO of SPI Media, Matthew Gartland. Matt, hello.
3: It's awesome to be here. Yay.
1: Yeah, this was really fun. Today, Matt is co-hosting. We had a blast. We talked to Zara of Monumental dot ca up in toronto and she organizes in person community equity helping neighborhoods just doing all sorts of amazing things like institutional reform participatory design and really just moving toronto in particular to being an equitable city while they focus on rebuilding and keeping their community in mind Matt, what's your kind of like high level? What are you excited about in this talk today?
3: Well, she's a delightful person with a wonderful mission and purpose and her articulation. And you can see it even in the copy on their website, like kind of anything and everything they put out is like, it's just profound. It resonates and there's a real like discernible spirit of genuine community, you know, togetherness, belonging, reciprocity, certainly, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is a central kind of tenant to their endeavor. And we have a lot to learn as digital community builders ourselves in the broader sense of, you know, how permanent is a community? How do we think about kind of passing on, you know, the wisdom that a community generates to, like, the next generation of members of that community? You know, kind of weaving in and out of those themes, I think, is, you know, to me, profoundly, like, intellectually interesting. Like, I I nerd out on that stuff. Uh, But also, like, very pragmatically necessary for those of us that are trying to build community, you know, and build experiences within those communities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what I just love about this interview, and you will all hopefully love as well, is just how connected all community building is. And while Zara and her team are focused, you know, on Toronto in particular, and what they're doing, I felt like everything she said was just totally transferable. But let's let's introduce Sarah, have a talk with her and we'll see y'all on the other side. All right, welcome to this episode of the Community Experience podcast. I am here with my Co-host du jour, Matt Gartland, CEO of SPI Media, and our wonderful guest Zara Ibrahim of Monumental. Welcome to the show, Zara. Let's just start it right off with, tell us about you. Who are you? What do you do for Monumental?
2: Give us the spiel. I mean, I can give you this version, today's version of the spiel. A lot of people do. <laughs> Maybe the kind of work that folks who listen to this do, and you folks do. That's not so unusual. So, I co lead an organization called Monumental. And, you know, we were birthed out of the pandemic. So, we're about 18 months old and really focused, you know, at the start, focused on. Supporting an equitable recovery, which to us is synonymous with helping integrate community voice into the decisions that were being made to right the wrongs that were so clearly (laughs) that in our decision-making approaches and the way that we build cities and communities, and to really work to make sure that community voices are integrated into all aspects of decision-making and design, whatever that may be, policy, infrastructure, programs, services. And part of that work is really focusing on how the city evolves and how the city develops. And so really, you know, as we think about an equitable recovery, what was really clear to us is the infrastructure of our city is being redeveloped and reconsidered post not post, just now. I don't know where we are in this pandemic, <laughs> uh, in the pandemic pandemic continuum, but wherever we are, you know, it is so clear that the development of our city is a real pain point in terms of really meaningfully integrating community voice and community wisdom and community leadership and shared prosperity. And so, our work at Monumental is to help bridge those divides between folks on the ground and folks in institutions and make sure that there's everyone understands what's going on and is making decisions together.
1: I'd love to know, like, what's a good example of a project or something to that effect that you are doing that
2: currently with? Yeah, there's, I mean, lots of great examples. We have, Toronto's sort of in this wave, and over the last 15 years has been in this wave of revitalizing developments that were built, you know, in the 50s, 60s, some of the original community housing developments that were built in our city that are now undergoing massive transformation because they sit sort of at these beautiful epicenters throughout, like nodes throughout our city. They're critical nodes throughout our city, but are now at the point where they need to sort of be repaired and be revitalized because the the living conditions in those places are not great, but also it's a huge opportunity to think about the future of these communities. And so our work at Monumental right now has been focused on a few of those major projects. Uh, One, which was the first social housing project in Canada, Regent Park, which is sort of has been sort of the, the, the subject of study over the last many, many years, but specifically over the last 15 years as it underwent a huge revitalization. And it's downtown. It's very central. If you've ever, ever been to Toronto, it's like not far from City Hall. Like it's a, it's a jaw like a, you know, 15 minute walk from I think about 50 minute walk from City Hall. And, you know, part of our work there is to figure out how do we make this go beyond community engagement, which I think a lot of people are thinking about, but how do we think about What are the components of shared prosperity? Which is, you know, whether that's um, participating in decision making and, and building prosperity through civic literacy, whether that's prosperity through things like who is buying those homes, who is living in those homes, who has access to those homes, and then prosperity sort of as it pertains to things like you know the retail environment, right? Like. Who are the retailers, and not you know? Are they accessible? Are they like you know not twenty dollar candle companies? But if they are going to be twenty dollar candle companies, then have them be owned by you know local folks, and and so really thinking about prosperity quite broadly, and thinking about economic development quite broadly, and so our work is to sort of be the bridge between the institutions and community members to help sort of have those conversations and come into agreements of some kind on how to move forward in a way that's fair and just for as many people as possible. But at the same time, you know, that's sort of more closely aligned to the ground, sort of at the same time, we're also doing work with a major project that's happening in Northwest Toronto, that's a 520 acre development, which is going to bring 80,000 new residents and 40,000 new jobs approximately to Northwest Toronto, which is, you know, the site itself is surrounded by what we call priority neighborhoods. So five priority neighborhoods or neighborhood improvement areas, as we call it in Toronto. And so this is a neighborhood that's at high risk of being gentrified of displacement of, you know, all sorts of different types of displacement. And so. With a development of this size, you know, 30 years long, our job on that is to think about how do we really meaningfully set up a framework and an approach to equity and meaningfully engaging community that can last over a generation and a half as this gets built. So kind of working on the ground and like in community and at the level of strategy. So those are two things that we're working on right
0: now. Well,
3: monumental things. Yes. (laughs) So big things. You're getting plugged into big things. How has that been in eighteen months? Like, what have been some of the, I guess, grittier aspects of you know this noble project, right? That you've embarked on to foster that level of community in a a very meaningful way. Eighteen months feels like it can come and go in an instant.
2: Well, you know, like, I think the reason my co-founder, Kofi, and I have both done work, like really grassroots work, and and then also worked within institutions that sort of determine how cities get built. And so we've sort of operated in these two spaces and, and many spaces in between. And I think one of the things that we noticed was when it came to decisions about development and decisions about like infrastructure investments in our city, conversations about community were very kids' table conversations. It was like, you know... Decisions were being made and community conversations were being had and never shall the two meet until last, you know, two years ago in the spring of 2020, when people started paying attention to this really important grassroots work that's been happening to integrate community voice into the development of how we build our city or into the decisions around how we build our cities. And so the gritty work has almost like it started like 18 months ago with folks being like, oh, yeah, maybe you were right, like you being this broad cross-section of city builders like myself who and Kofi and so many others who had been saying, this is not a chicken soup for the soul thing. This is a strategic imperative to think about the well-being of all within a community, not just some. And so I feel like that first threshold of people, like, you know, I keep saying we've been screaming into the wind and then the wind died down. (laughs) Like And then the wave of interest in doing this work and not understanding that this work, as much as it's about the transactions, what shall we do? It's about the relationships. And so like, this is deeply relational work to build bridges between institutions and communities and work in right relations, it's long-term. So I think that the the grittiest sort of high level piece was that everyone wanted to start doing the work and it was like, well, no, let's build the trust, (laughs) right? Like I remember my first ever project in community you know, I showed up sort of just like, let's do this great piece of work in a neighborhood that I'm not from. And that like all of the studies had said this neighborhood had like, you know, was primed for a whole bunch of sort of different kinds of investments in social infrastructure. And the executive director of the, or- the not-for-profit that was working in that neighborhood, and this is now 15 years ago, was like, okay, if you stick around for a year and a half, I'll let you do that project like show up at community meetings and show up at their sort of community gatherings and meet people and talk to them and get to know them and get to know what their priorities are. And then this project you're talking about, if they're into it, let's do it. Yeah. I'm curious,
1: how how are you going about actually getting into those communities and then building those
2: relationships? I mean, those folks have been like, they're there, they're still there. And you know, like I've been very close to mutual aid in here in Toronto over the course of the pandemic and you know, it was amazing when like sort of our municipalities and civic institutions were like, oh my God, all these great organizers stepping up. And I'm like, they've kind of always been doing this work. And you just need to like cast like the faintest light on a particular population group or issue area. And you will find like so many organizers doing the work. So in part, I think some of the the benefit of the work that we do at Monumental and the kind of folks that we work with and bring onto our team are folks that are deeply rooted in community, but understand that we need both to get the work done. Like you can't just work on one side. Someone's got to run in between the two. So that's one piece is that we sort of benefit from having tenure of relationship in communities across the city. Most of my colleagues have done deep work. For most of their careers, whether it's specifically in their job or alongside their work, have had a a longstanding commitment to activism and organizing and solidarity. And so those relationships are already there. But where they're not, I think that is part of the work is starting to talk about other people, like not just coming in and talking about your agenda, but actually figuring out like what is the agenda? So like reaching out to folks and being like, what would like good feel like in a year? What would good feel like in five years? Like what do you want? And then trying to find, build shared agendas. And I I feel like there are very few folks at the very least in our context who are working to really honor and empathize with and understand that the priorities can exist sort of in this binary, like someone wins, someone loses. And especially right now, everyone's just trying to figure out how to exist in this state of the world. And so there has to be this shared agenda building. So it's a lot of conversations about like, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? Does that sync up? Does that sync up on different timelines? Maybe that's the decision to be made. How are you showing up? Why are you showing up in this way? What's happened before? Like, tell me the history. Like, you know, I'm a huge fan of usually it's on my desk. It's somewhere, it's probably somewhere up there, but Antoinette Carroll's equity-centered community design framework, which is just amazing. And if you could get Antoinette Carroll on your show, that would be amazing because she's red. But what I think is really brilliant about the way that she does her work and the way that she approaches her work is to do any kind of community work, you sort of have to deal with three conditions first. One is acknowledge where we are. So where are we? Okay, we're in the fourth phase of a major redevelopment that has totally changed the fabric of this community already, and we'll do more to do that. Okay, great. The history and the healing. So How did we get here? Why are we doing this? Why am I the person in the room? Why are you the person in the room? What is the history? And in that history, what needs to be healed? And it doesn't mean you heal all of it before you start a project, but it does mean that you acknowledge that like there are wounds in the community between institutions trying to do right and the actual impacts on the ground. And then the third piece is just power mapping, right? Just being like, okay, well, in this situation, here's my, like, here's where I, Zara, have power. I have connections with all of the institutional partners. I have a scope to do this work. I'm getting paid. So that means I have time. And here's your power. Here's your power. You have the relationships on the ground. People will talk to you, not me. And I found that framework used lightly, even, is a really great frame, you know, to enter a community, any community with that you're not of. Yeah.
3: That reminds me or makes me think of, I guess, how we think about through a community and with the purpose of a community, defining the success and then measuring progress towards that. Right. So I'm curious, even with your efforts thus far, navigating maybe not to put a portion of your mouth, but like some legacy skepticism to, you know, better intentions that maybe never manifest right in past efforts in the, in the, Toronto area or just in the city. How are you overcoming some of those things and measuring progress and being able to hopefully be able to then signal back to the folks that are believing in you that are getting involved that yes, progress is starting to happen?
2: Yeah. I mean, measuring progress is so weird because it's like who's measuring and who's evaluating and you know, it's such a, it's a felt sense as much as it is anything else. And I think there's some really basic stuff. So one way in which progress is measured is when you're going into a place. And a lot of the places we work within, we're not the first to come in with trying to do help these institutions do better. And I think acknowledging that you've done your homework is always, and, and I'm talking from the perspective of, you know, even though both my, co- like all my colleagues uh, and I have organized in community, we don't know every community organizer. We don't know every neighborhood in the city or every neighborhood that we work within. Showing first that we've done our homework is like some really baseline stuff that a lot of folks don't do and then end up having to backtrack and be like, oh yeah, now we've read, we've read your community priorities report that you've actually, you put together such a long time ago that everyone should have read before starting this project. So that piece is like building trust by showing that the folks trying this time or the folks doing this work are actually trying to do it more from an assets-based approach, which is looking at what currently exists that we can build on versus this is something new. This is like a new in, in that endeavor initiative. So that's, that's one piece. And that, that, that's more of process, but I think from an outcomes perspective, and, you know, I just went for a, a a walk this afternoon with a friend who is just like such a, like a wonder, wonder person, wonder kid on inclusive development. It was just, her name's Crystal Dean and she was just saying, you know, money, right? <laughs> who prospers? That shows progress, right? So it's like when... You know, especially in communities that have experienced revitalization, being like, oh, you're going to stay in this community as the construction is happening. And we've thought through that. And like, you're going to stay in place because you've got families, you've got seniors who have elder care, you have you know, children in school. You have people who have rituals and jobs and all these sorts of life systems around this place. We are not going, we are actively, part of our work is not to displace, right? The right to stay. And so people getting to stay as change is happening is you know, in, in a lot of cases is, is progress, even though that's such a dire baseline, but so it is. And then I, but I do think then who prospers, like who, as our cities grow, as our cities develop, who is quite literally prospering? Like how is wealth being distributed? And wealth, it can be distributed in many ways, right? It can be distributed in, in making sure that there are employment opportunities, making sure that there are career pathways, making sure that, you know, the development actually hires local folks. There's, home ownership, there's, you know, a friend of mine has been talking about a community franchise model where fine, if there's a subway in your neighborhood, it's owned by the neighborhood and it's paid off with sweat equity, right? It's paid off with the hours that you work there and then fine, we can have subways in neighborhoods, but they're owned by the folks who live in that community and decisions are made collaboratively and they're more of a cooperative model. And so I think we're kind of over like notional sort of like superficial progress and now it's it's, like We actually need to see substantial inequities closed by sharing wealth.
3: I'm curious if just keeping the community together being like a form of progress where uh, I I don't have the experience you do on the ground in local communities doing your phenomenal work. You know, mine is probably sadly too much on the internet. But this notion, especially through the last two years of thinking about how, how do you keep it. Community together, and it's just because it's easy to disband. It's easy to gather once for something and then fizzle out or fade away. So, but in 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 the local sense, with the work that you're doing, that is of such profoundly you know deeper you know consequence, and arguably the work we're doing online. How do you think about keeping this like new coalition of people together for some version of the long haul?
2: Yeah, it's like I mean, I want to answer that in so many different ways because it's a really place based response, right? Which is that this is all about choice, right? Like we want, you know, in the communities, like neighborhood improvement areas across, you know, the region that we work in, in Toronto, and and even beyond places that, you know, have had different socioeconomic challenges have been underinvested in all of these different things. Staying together matters, because you want people to have the right to stay if they so want to. It's more about deploying choice (laughs) through these developments to say, you know, if you want to stay, you can. If you don't, you don't have to, but there's a thriving life here if you want it. The other piece around staying and keeping communities together in a place-based way is in in Toronto, we have sort of these neighborhoods called arrival cities that are sort of, you know, you come from other places, you have a vision of what, Toronto looks like you've probably Googled it and seen the waterfront and the CN Tower. And then you land in these sort of inner suburban neighborhoods that are just outside of the downtown core that have high densities of poverty and different kinds of community infrastructure that are not as visible on the ground, but like incredibly powerful. And there are often places that people want to leave. Right. So like you land in a in one of these cities, in one of these neighborhoods. And the marker of success is that, you know, you can move out, you can move downtown, and I think one of the things we've been hearing from folks in community is that part of why they get involved is they want people to choose to stay and keep their community together and reinvest over generations in a place, assuming that some people will want to leave and assuming that there will be a diaspora, but that they want these arrival cities to turn into places that are desirable, like the most desirable place in the city to live. So that's like the place-based response. But then I have a whole other response when you think about communities, you know, Little C communities uh, everywhere. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in sort of like biomimetic thinking around how people organize and gather. And I, I don't always think that groups need to be together forever, right? I think part of the integrity of a group is to have trust and connectivity and a shared vision or shared set of values or shared learning or whatever, And then at some point, things need to like, you know, I love the visual, right, of the like old tree falling and the light opens up in the canopy and the seedlings grow, right? It's like a very natural process. And to be in relationship with natural processes, we have to be okay with sometimes things will come together and they will be amazing. And then they will go back into the soil and something new will emerge. So I think when we're not talking about sort of equity deserving groups and communities experiencing marginalization, but talking about how people come together and how people form groups and shared understanding. I actually like from that perspective, I think it's really intriguing to think about groups that have a mandate not to stay together forever, you know, and and to really have their wisdom sort of spread in a diasporic way into different places. And I'm thinking about what I perceive your world, your internet community world to be like, and being involved in some internet communities myself you know, it's cyclical, right? You come and go through them. And that's part of the beauty of them is that they are places that where you can be transient and still feel a sense of belonging.
3: Yeah. It jogs the thought in, at least in the internet circles, maybe this is a cliche, but you know, we try to meet you where you are and support you with where you want to go. Right. And that is a, a genuine spirit of, okay, we need to create a place that is nurturing, that is evolutionary by design to some measure, right? Because you know, we want people to, in, in fact, get more experience, to level up, so to speak, right, and to probably you know, outgrow a certain aspect maybe of the community that we have established. But you know, can we strike a balance, at least in terms of our purpose, and continue to enrich and evolve our community so that when they reach a threshold, you know, we have something else that's ready for them that kind of meets them in a new moment, right? Again, the work you're doing. So not all these things are directly, I think, portable.
2: But it's not not, right? Like, I think actually, as you're talking, one of the things I'm thinking about is like what happens when, you know, I've seen so many folks I've worked with from community who have gone through some kind of exercise, like capacity building exercise, or have been part of a workforce development program who have then gone on to do like insanely cool things and then want to reinvest in their community. And I imagine it's a- analogous to what happens in your communities where it's like people get a grasp of things, they go out and like manifest them in the world or practice those skills. And then they bring back that wisdom to, to the homeroom. And I think that's also a cycle that we see a lot in this kind of community work is that creating, k- keeping that space of learning and keeping that space of togetherness open. So there is a place to return even if you are not returning there regularly right? Like to allow sort of different relationships with it.
3: Yeah. The the whole is greater than some of its parts in terms of how I think about, yeah, I do hope SPI Pro exists for a very long time in some of the other communities that we're building. Does that mean that like in the absolute value sense that the 600 and some exact members that we have today are going to be that exact, you know, they're going to be there in five years, like probably not, we're going to lose people for different reasons. And, and hopefully a lot of them have left us because they have, succeeded and just exploded right in terms of their success and and have you know different needs and, and maybe opportunities but hopefully we've played a pretty profound role in that we want to be able to yeah be an environment or create an atmosphere like where there's there's new growth happening new businesses are forming in part because our students our members and even like graduates that would leave us you know, are helping to plant like new ideas and new seeds into that community, even if they've kind of moved on.
2: Yeah. You know, as you're talking, part of what is coming up for me is this idea that, you know, a a colleague and friend of mine recently was, was sort of asking the question, when we talk about community and belonging, who are we talking about belonging with? Like who, what are we belonging to and who are we trying to like be sort of feel sense of belonging with? And was bringing in sort of the indigenous wisdom that's so present that should be increasingly more present in the way that we do things, which is belonging broadly defined, right? Like not just with humans, <laughs> but but thinking in a more, you know, in, with nature, with spirits, with our ancestors, you know, like how are we walking in solidarity with our ancestors? <laughs> and so, you know, one of the things I think about when I think about, you know, communities staying together is thinking about a place or an idea that you can identify with, that remains like, you know, I think about the the graduates that leave your program. And it's like they may never interact with you again, but you are part of their identity as they go out into the world. And that means they are still part of your community. And I think I just think about like the communities, right? If we broadly define the communities that we belong in, like, I feel like I move in and out of a lot of communities and a lot of folks that we work with are constantly transient because especially doing this kind of social change work, it's whiplash, right? It's minute to minute. You're like, it's either issue areas or population groups or like, you know, and so you're moving from community to community. But um, I think just being able to, I guess what I'm, the, the, the actual, it's like, Having that place continue to exist and be part of your identity versus just having to interact with it as a way to be part of community, like having it exist and I can be over here, but it's part of me versus having to interact with it to be part of me, I think is an interesting thing. And I think it's actually what defines community is that it exists as part of who we are. And it's not just a temporal thing or like, it's not just like this tangible thing that you have to interact with. It makes me think
1: I, I went to a very small high school that, you know, is. small but like super special and like intentional it, it was it's a boarding school not to get like overly into it which i know sounds very pretentious but it wasn't it was very outdoorsy anyways it's funny how like that is very much a part of who i am and my identity and even if i go back like it's home in many ways if i really wanted to go drive there tomorrow just walk in the door and be greeted and like oh my gosh like you know it's it's very close um, with, with those who are still there as I get older and older, less of my teachers are still teaching. Uh, but it's funny how every once in a while, like every so often I'll hear someone mention it, the school, and I'll be like, Oh, I went there, you know, and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, you know, my, my daughter's thinking of going there. Would you talk to her? And it's like, yeah. And it's like a complete stranger. And suddenly there's this bond and there's this connection over this Thing. and it's just it's really interesting and I think that's such a great example of kind of these communities that maybe like sure I graduated and I don't live in that town anymore and whatnot but I can always go visit that to, to keep going with the metaphor the the fallen over log and I'll you know I still remember that place and I'm still it's still a part of my story and I can share it with other people and connect and when I think about The work you do in particular in these, you know, actual communities in the Toronto area in particular, that I'm sure there's kind of some same vibes, especially with the community members who participate in these projects and and legislation and, and whatever else it is. I love the community franchise. I'm still thinking about that. Like, why isn't that just the standard? Like, ah but you know, they might participate really big in some way. And then the thing happens, it's achieved and they stay in their community. And maybe the work that was being done ramps down a little, but even if they're no longer directly involved, that that is still a huge part of them and what like ties them to that larger community. And that's beautiful. It's kind of like alumni in a way. (laughs)
2: Well, and there's so many levels of it, right? Like there's there's place-based communities, there's religious communities, there's like intellectual and academic community. Like there's all these layers of these places we belong to for moments in time throughout our life. And like, you know, they all have their little, I don't know, their little bars, you know, like how long, like what duration in our lives have, have we been part of? Like what's our tenure in each of these communities over the course of our lives? And many of the places that I think really sort of signal who we are in the world, we're only part of for a little while, right? Like, and, you know, I think... It's such a tricky thing for me because I think we are conditioned that into this idea that things should last forever. You know, like we're conditioned into this, this idea that for something to have integrity, for something to have impact, for something to be important, it lasts forever. And I think there's so many, you know, my parents were part of a diaspora that moved from Kenya to Canada in the early 1980s. They're still very much part of that sort of like Kenyan Ismaili community. They don't live there. They <laughs> don't interact with those people all the time. But that is that will always be a, a huge part of their identity in their community, even though it's not as much part of their day-to-day interactions anymore. And so I think it's interesting to think about those different, like the layer cake, right, of community identities that we have and that we bring into. And, and then similarly, in a really place-based way, in, in, in neighborhoods, you know, in Toronto, you meet someone from Scarborough and it's like, they kind of know you. You know, like, you're like, oh, you're from Scarborough? Oh, okay. Like, I I kind of have your number. <laughs> like, you know, like. Tell us what a
1: Scarborough person, what's their like. Oh my God. It's
2: the weekend. Uh, <laughs> the weekends Scarborough. But I think, no, but I think it's like you come from a particular cultural community, right? And it's like, oh, I'm like, you know, is smiley and we're from this part. And people are like, oh, yeah. Like, they might make a lot of assumptions about who you are, right? Around your values and how you work in the world. But, and many are not always true. But I think that's. The good parts, the upside of it is that it helps sort of understand shared values without having to state them all the time.
1: Well, I was going to kind of shift gears a little and just ask specifically, I think there's probably people listening who want to better engage in person with people. And I love what you said about building trust and the process that your organization takes and like from a human level takes to connect with those community members to then work with them. And I'm curious if you just had any tips to share for someone who is looking to build in-person community with maybe people they don't have that personal connection with yet. Do you have any kind of like tried or true things that you recommend?
2: Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I think there's always, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? And so we have an amazing um, thinker and do a uh, doer, Misha Luberman, here in Toronto who co-authored a book or a book was about him that his friend Sheila Hetty wrote called Chairs are Where the People Go. And there's, it's all about like how to meet new people. And there's a section in it and it's like much more articulate in the book, but it's some version of, you know, if you want to meet a group of people who only wear the color blue, then like start a group and <laughs> invite anyone who only ever wears the color blue and someone will sh- show up for sure. So there's that, which is like, you know, start something and invite people in. And, you know, something I found um, in the neighborhood that I live in uh, on the West side of Toronto, I was really interested in getting involved when I moved to this neighborhood almost five years ago, four years ago, five years ago, in the organizing in the neighborhood, because there's a ton of development around it. And I just was like, Hey, is anyone organizing in the neighborhood? I'm going to, I don't know, host like an open house at the community center and folks and people just showed up Some were like furious. There's like, there's tons of organizing in the neighborhood. What are you doing? And some people are like, we don't have anything. This is amazing. And, you know, and then you have to hold space for both, which is like to honor the work that's being done and listen to the folks who are saying, there's something that I still need that that, like, that's not meeting my needs. And so I really love the Nisha tip around just like open up the space. But I think the next step past it is like, and honor all that you get. So like, it doesn't mean like, if you open up a space and say, let's organize, and someone says, we're organizing already, that you continue to do that, right? It's it's a way of figuring out what are the assets in the community. And that's really sort of my like TLDR of everything I would say is like figure out what assets exist in the community, what people, what spaces, what groups, what events, like what are the things where people gather, no matter what you're doing as a way to start building that trust that we talked about at the start of this session, which is The how of how you build trust when you don't know people is you participate and you show up and you show up consistently. And I just remember like when I was working in Scarborough, I'm not from Scarborough, but when I started working in Scarborough, I was like, people start being like, "Hey, it's you again. Like, you know, I just kept showing up to things like community events and things that were happening. So I'd say that that would be a starting point. I think lead with inquiry is a big one for me. Like, tell me more, even if someone's organizing and they're like, we got this covered. Um, <laughs> we're, we have that kind of group already, which has happened in many communities I've been involved in. I'm like, oh, tell me more. And then like, just have them explain what that word like means, like in terms of we're, we're a community organization, we're, you know, organizers in this community, have them describe what that means. And then that allows you to say, oh, this is sort of the thing I was thinking of, which is complimentary. So lead with inquiry and sort of default to kindness. I think in a lot of these spaces, folks get antagonistic really fast and there's lots of space for everyone. I think it's just about humbly sort of stepping into spaces and acknowledging that whatever space you step into, there's guaranteed already people there. And then I guess the last thing I would just say, and this is particularly in our Canadian context, which just drives me absolutely bananas is when people say blank slate, it's just a blank slate. It's like nothing is a blank slate, right? Like, there have been creatures and beings and energies and ancestors and spirits here for thousands of years, and so whether it's like a physical community or an you know an intellectual and sort of or more of a issue based community, there's always some wisdom there. So like I think just coming with harvesting wisdom first and saying like what it's again it's more of the assets based approach, but avoiding this sort of like this doesn't exist, so I have to create it. It's like even just, you know, in we talk about this a lot in our work, like even the approaches and methodologies that we use, it's like everyone's like, oh, this is so fascinating. I'm like, it's the combination of like 40 different ideas that have already existed. We've just curated them very well. <laughs> and so I think just this a little bit of humility as we go into any new space that someone or some people or something has tried to cultivate this space before and maybe learning from that first.
1: Yeah, just try to go buy a domain name of the great business you thought was a good idea, and you'll see that someone's already thought of it. (laughs) That's
2: that's (laughs) always it. That is like the litmus test. It's like you try the domain name, and it's like, oh yeah, there are people out there who are have the same idea, and I think that's amazing. It's not threatening. It's like I think that's the reframe, which is like it's an orthodoxy, right? That we need to flip. That like, you know, people doing this already means there's no opportunity. It's like people doing this actually means there's tons of opportunity because like. There's you've got a community, right? And, and maybe that's your job is just to bring those folks together. But um, yeah, I think that's an, an outdated orthodoxy around community, which is like if people are organizing, the space is full. It's quite the opposite.
3: So in the vein of leading with inquiry, which I love, and a lot of the other remarks, like that suggests very strongly, like a lot of listening, right? Listening to the community. I'm curious like, how you do that. Like how, how are you fostering in receiving you know, that feedback and, and, you know, and listening, how much of that is offline? How much of that maybe do you try to promote through some digital channels? So you know, they do. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious like how you actually try to harness all of the the listening that you're trying to do.
2: That is where I feel like digital tools, like even well before the pandemic have been the best tools, because you said it at the start, Matt, you were talking about, you know, digital communities as a way to meet people where they are. And if you expand, or if I expand my own notion of digital, which you know, includes, then would include like text messaging.
3: Yes, absolutely.
2: Right. Like that to me in my work has been the best way of getting really nuanced information from folks. So like a bridge between, you know, community engagement and community organizing and community based research has been using WhatsApp. Um, So it's a huge part of my practice anytime I've been doing any sort of engagement in community, a huge portion of that has focused on um, using WhatsApp as a channel through which, you know, if you're talking to people about like, what does safety mean to you? And you get people into a room, a physical space, or even a virtual space, like you either get the echo chamber effect, you know, people are just like bouncing off each other and like the first idea becomes the idea everyone talks about, or it's just really hard Right. Like, it's just really hard. Like, even for me, like I'm steeped in thinking about the city. And like, you asked me about like safety in the city and it's just sort of like it's nuanced. It's weird. I don't know, like street lighting. I'm not sure. Like it's it's a hard thing. But so wh- wh- over the years, I've used WhatsApp as a way to say, OK, folks, like over the next two weeks, just anytime safety comes up in your day to day life, just shoot us a text, shoot us an image, audio file like the selfie video. And you get these amazing videos, right? Where people are like, oh my God, I just like tried to get on the bus. Like, and it's a total snowstorm. And I slipped on the step and it's like, so once, and you're like, oh, they think about safety and like physical safety. Oh, okay, cool. Like, and then someone else is like, I'm actually sending you this note because I'm walking home by myself and I'm super scared. And so I just realized I'm thinking about safety. And it's like, so you get this, this real diversity in the kind of feedback you get. And you would only get it because people are just grabbing their phone and shooting you a text or shooting you an audio message when it comes up for them. And so I I find that digital channels have been such a huge source of creating really nuanced community wisdom that actually can then influence decisions because you have a level of specificity you just cannot get to in a group environment. The last thing I'll just say is I think thinking of layers of inclusion matter, right? So we always think about like in in Toronto and we're talking about bringing community together. It's like, are people fed? Can people afford to get there? Do they have childcare? Do they have elder care? But I think the piece beyond all of that, when you move up Maslow's hierarchy is like, can you design for super quiet people like introverts? Can you design for people who lack confidence in public speaking? Can you design for folks who are uh, anxious about status or power or like all these different things and feel like they don't, have enough access to speak up. And so that's where all these other alternative tools are real signals of belonging to folks that we're trying to create as many channels and pathways as possible to really properly hear you and hear more about, you know, your inner world and your deeper reflections on whatever it is we're talking about. So
1: yeah, I noticed, you know, in the pandemic in particular, when all our our school districts all went to remote learning for the remainder of the year in 2020, and then it was a hybrid model in 2021 and the equitable access became something, frankly, people hadn't talked about. And now it was like, does everyone have access to Wi Fi? You know, and it's something so you don't really think about because most people anymore, you know, on the globe have cell phones. And so like apps and cellular data is one thing. Our school district provides Chromebooks to every student, which is fantastic. But I also recognize not necessarily the norm yet. And but then it became a like, we need to get Wi-Fi buses in different communities. Who has access, who doesn't? And I mean, that's just one small little thing that happened here. And it's, it's, I think it's really opening all of our eyes to those levels beyond, like to your point, it's not just about food banks and affordable housing. Although those are top priorities, there's, there's so many things, so many things, even where I live, you know, accessibility for like movement it's very snowy here, right? So can a wheelchair in the morning get to the bus stop without getting stuck in the snow? <laughs> you know, there's just so many things in all of our communities. So you've definitely given us all a lot to think about just as far as like, well, what does that look like where I live? And now we know there's definitely someone doing the work. So we just have to find, <laughs> find them and connect.
2: <laughs> well, and, and you know, for those, those people who are listening into this, who are trying to figure out you know, accessibility beyond our Zoom world, just to keep in mind that for so many of those folks that you mentioned, like I have a colleague who has cerebral palsy who has been asking every like major institution for years, hey, can you stream this event? Hey, can you stream this event? Can you stream this public? And they're like, there's no way we're streaming this like public lecture like this. That would take an insane amount of resources. Like we can't have a in-person lecture and stream it. And now, you know, he said the other day what was, you know, said to be impossible was possible. So it's part of that. Is, it's holding that window of possibility open, right? When gathering folks and knowing that, you know, kind of having a healthy disregard for the impossible, I think is our <laughs> our mantra moving forward now that we've seen that it's, you know, we can make it work if needed. You know, we can offer a plurality of ways for people to have access to accessible space, access to spaces. In, in more accessible ways just writing
1: that down i'll i'll, uh, I'll give you a quote credit have a healthy disregard for the impossible i love it okay well i'm going to force myself to stop asking follow-up questions and we will move into the the much anticipated rapid fire zara i gave you a little heads up on this just whatever comes to your head first Despite the fact that we will want to ask follow-up questions, we will not. Got it. Starting with, <laughs> Sarah, what did
2: you want to be when you grew up, when you were a child? I think in the moments where I knew what, what I wanted to be, I wanted to own a candy store like every other kid. <laughs> I love that. It's like, I, I think I'm pretty sure I can visualize a bubblegum machine drawing and uh, like a, one of those one-pagers that I was like, I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run this bubblegum bubble gum machine.
1: I like it. I feel like there's still time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How do you define community? Shared values, shared vision, shared ways of being. What is something that is on your bucket list, whether, you know, you actually have one or not? Um, What is something that you have done?
2: Oh, there's so many. There is a park on the North Shore of Lake Superior called, it's actually bridges. It's half in the U.S. and half in Canada, actually. And it's, you know, in, in Canada, we have provincial parks. But this one is a wilderness park, which means like it is not maintained. And it's one of the most sort of like vast remote areas in, in well, in Canada and in northern Ontario called Quetico. And so last, uh, it was actually a pandemic thing where we were like, you know what? If there's ever going to be a time to go like into the wild like this. Like it's a, it's quite a commitment. We went in there for seven or eight days in 2020. And I think I've been wanting to do that for like 10 years. It's just like such a spectacular Part of of the country and so remote and so hard to access and so much planning and so um, we finally did that a few years ago. That's awesome.
1: What is something on the bucket list that you have not yet done? Oh my gosh,
2: write a kids book. <laughs> nice about candy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's it, I, I we're close to it. My sister and I are working on something, but it's not yet done. So um, I would I would love to write a kids book.
1: Well, that's a perfect segue into the next question. What is a book you think everybody should read?
2: Oh my God. Oh, that's such a, that's such a good one. There's too many books. I'm such an intense reader.
1: Or like, what's a recent one that you read that you were just like, oh, awesome.
2: The recent one that I, oh, I, I mean, the one that I read in the last year that I just thought was so transformative was Homegoing by Yagayasi, which is just, it's this incredible story, but You know, it's essentially telling the story of the transatlantic slave trade through the eyes of two sisters, one who was sold into slavery and the other who married a British soldier and went on to live like a very different life. And each chapter, they move forward a generation in that family from those from those sisters. And it's one of the best books I think I've ever read. And it's just really incredible. And I feel like it makes some of the it it makes the history visceral and real and felt. Adding that to my list. Thank you. (laughs) So we know
1: you live in Toronto. If you could live anywhere else in the world, where would you want to live? Okay,
2: for American listeners, I will say that I like I love Chicago <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would be really cool. My family is originally from Nairobi with a history kind of all the way up the east coast of Africa, and I think it would be very cool to live. My grandfather was this uh, spice farmer and um I would love to live on those islands and just be of that place for a little while in my life and just like walk that same earth and that same land and uh, and know those islands in a way that I, I only kind of read about. Oh, I love that. Closer here. Chicago. Chicago's great. <laughs> but that's an easy one. Well, you know, you could, I feel
1: like that's very doable. Yeah. And then final question. How do you want to be remembered?
2: As a helper, <laughs> you know, like uh, we're working with uh, an incredible Indigenous collaborator and he was sharing this word that in, Anishina- it was in Anishinaabe, I think that that means helper and talked about what it what it means to be a helper in the world. And, um, I think a lot of my, the motivation for my work is just wanting to help out where I can be useful and really trying to be care, carefully audit sort of where I'm finding myself and wondering if if it's about helping or if it's about, you know, something else. So I'd like to be remembered as a helper. I love that.
1: Zara, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to talk to some digital community nerds about all things community.
2: (laughs) Where where can our audience learn more about you? Where can they find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter and Insta at Eb Z-A-H-R-A-E-B. And um, at MonumentalProjects.ca. Excellent. Well, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, and thanks for having me. This is great.
1: Just wow. That was amazing. Outstanding. So fun. That is Zara Ebrahim of Monumental. Their website is MonumentalProjects.ca as in Canada.
3: Dot C A, just to be very clear.
1: Dot C A. Okay. Thank you. Dot C A for Canada. Yeah, so many, so many amazing takeaways there. I just want to jump right in with just what I loved and mentioned in the intro is how transferable the tactics, the things that Zara and her team are doing to get within communities and help organize and just participate and grow uh, and build community is, is so transferable to what we do in digital community. And like, frankly, great ideas if you move somewhere or if you're just trying to make friends and, and really that um, headlining with leading with inquiry. Ask questions. That's the top thing I tell people when they're asking about like, well, what do I put in my community? And it's, well, ask your community. What do they want? Ask them what they want. You'll be surprised. I, I, to this day, am wrong. I'll ask Pro, like, hey, I had this great idea. What are you guys think?" And they're like, no, how about this? And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I have not thought about it that way.
3: I agree, and not just once. Make that a habit, ritualize that. And we're continuing to learn and try to do better, uh, very far from perfect on our side with Pro. We have bigger plans ahead for this year, and a lot of those actually were informed by trying to very actively listen. And not just from the direct stuff, it's sort of also like listening between the lines to try to mix, mix metaphor that phrase. Yeah, no, I thought that was astute uh, was just how necessary it is to, to lead with that and to continue to lead with a just profound curiosity for where your community members are, in their own evolution, what their needs are, how those needs are evolving and being open-minded to a state of change.
1: Yeah, well, and even just in particular, the idea of that open-ended feedback, which for their programming was the whatsapp idea and just that idea like yeah you can provide feedback about safety anytime via this number just send a send a picture send a message send a voice file and that is genius because exactly i'm that person that you go to the event they ask for feedback you give it and then two days later you're like ah you know what i should have said the actual thing that i wasn't thinking of in the moment and so to give people that grace and time beautiful i'm already Thinking like how, how do we do this in our in our company? Because it's just cool, very cool.
3: Part of that aspect of the conversation, to me, the sense of man, we take some of this for granted in the digital space. Those of us that are online entrepreneurs and the digital waterhole is our primary thing. You know, I think sometimes we take that for granted, and it's a healthy reminder to kind of be kept in check. That in a lot of other profound areas of just life in general, that are essential and trying to foster really necessary community building and activism and in participation that yeah this stuff is critical and there's still a lot uh however for us to learn even though we have some of us sometimes i'll even say myself for sure like taking some of that for granted like let's listen to the folks that you know are on the other side so to speak you know in the offline world doing a lot of this stuff and what can we learn better about our communication practices through digital technologies.
1: You had another really amazing takeaway from the interview.
3: I did. And I I loved how it emanated from a little bit of pushback around the goal or a goal of community building being that we hold the community together and that that progress can be, and I do believe that that's part of, part of, but I loved her push that it can be more than that or it should be re-examined to to build community is an amazing thing to hold that community i think is is fantastic and it's and harder honestly than building you know the sustaining part of almost any endeavor uh, i find to be a far more interesting but more more nuanced more intricate challenge than just like the one time building of a thing but yeah getting into that that richness of the conversation around the for the like the individual person and that individual's experience with the community will ebb and flow and change and may not always be there in an active way uh and jill you rendered some personal experiences and, and stories from your life your high school for example so I, I just love that you know that you know there's so many different fractals or dimensions to you know how we want to associate ourselves to the communities that we're either building and are belonging to and hopefully at least from our side being community builders like having a place that is still there for people to come back to or to you know use as a safe space to even refer other people to so we hold that space. Our community is there, but it is also transient as she was describing. I think that's brilliant.
1: It really is. And, and I think it's so important to embrace that because if you try to keep people kicking and screaming somewhere, they just want to go more, (laughs) you know, it's like as a teenager, when your parents tell you, you can't do that, what are you going to do that immediately that day? Probably if you're me and it's okay. It's okay. People get, you know, to get, to get granular about digital community and kind of this like concept of a life cycle of a, of a member, you can get really upset with churn numbers. Right. But in a way, if someone's leaving and they're on to the next thing, like think of it, it's not, you didn't lose them. They're graduating. They're evolving into that next version of themselves. And you were a part of that. And if they had a positive experience, that will still be a part of them as well. And whether they're referring people to your community, or you just made their day in some special way. And that's it. That's all it's going to be. That's okay. That's okay. Because someone else is coming up, you know, that it that's going to be ready for your community.
3: Yeah, you want graduates, you, you want that transformation, in, in terms of, I guess, us on again, the builder side, the education teaching side is that, we want our students, our members, much like we want our family members, our kids to grow, to learn, to become stronger, wiser, and then leave the nest at some point. <laughs> Your kids are farther down the runway than mine, but you know that's like you want that.
1: Well, my kid is the exception. Yes. She doesn't need to leave the nest. Everyone uh, else is, of course. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> she can't wait.
3: But you, you designed for that, right? Or at least in the way that we are talking about it and are attempting to talk about it more, you know, more profoundly, you know, more specificity uh, to the conversations around what is the onboarding experience, what is the everyday experience, and then also like what is the end experience and design for that. Make it a smooth exit if someone's ready to like, hey, like I've learned as much as I can and I'm ready to move on to the next thing and like celebrate
1: that. Yeah, it's also, I mean, like what we're doing. It's like, well, maybe we need membership opportunities that are more advanced or less advanced. Is there opportunity for that? And, you know, we're a team, so we have bandwidth to do things like that. You might be perfectly fine with what you offer. And when people have outgrown it, they've outgrown it. But there is, there's also options to create new things. But that's a whole other conversation.
3: <laughs> yes. And and we are playing in that sandbox and it's a lot of fun. So that's a, a good tease. But yeah, new stuff to come this year. So
1: yeah. All right. Well, on that note, Matt, thank you for co-hosting with me. I'm sure you will be back soon. Yes. And that's the episode today. So again, if you want to learn more about Zara Ibrahim, it's monumentalprojects.ca and C-A. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. That's the show for today. So we will see you next Tuesday.
3: And if you haven't already, if you're liking the show, uh, would love a review in Apple iTunes and all that fun stuff because it does help us.
1: That's what the boss said. So go do it. I don't want to get in trouble. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next week. Check out all of Zara's amazing work at monumentalprojects.ca or cat. You can also find Zara in particular on Twitter, Instagram at E B. That's Z-A-H-R-A-E-B. Or if you're Canadian, you know, it's Zed. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski and our editor is Ray Sylvester. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.